We're in the third chapter of Acts, beginning in verse 1. One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Every day a man was carried to the temple to the gate, which is called Beautiful, and placed there in order to beg from those who were coming to the temple. He saw Peter and John about to enter, and he asked them for money. Peter looked at him intently, as did John. Peter said, look at us. And he got the man's attention because the man was hoping to receive something from him. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I will give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And taking the man by the right hand, he lifted him up, and his feet and ankles instantly became strong. And he jumped up and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. N.T. Wright is a New Testament professor in Scotland who was formerly a bishop in Durham, England. And he tells a story about a young man who became quite infatuated with a young woman. And he found out that the young woman was uh, an active part of a cathedral and sang in the, in the church choir. So one day he decided to get a better look at her. He would go to church, even though he'd never been before. He would just sneak in and so he could look at her. Well, he hadn't been to a church, much less that church, but he did find a door. And he got in. Unfortunately, the entrance he found led him right to the second pew in the cathedral. And as he sat down, one of the ushers came over to him and said, Excuse me, sir, our reader for this morning is sick. Would you mind coming up at the appointed time and reading the gospel lesson for us? He said, Okay. So at the time of the service, he got up and the gospel lesson was opened uh, to the appropriate passage in front of him. It was a passage where Jesus said that it's the thief that tries to sneak in. But it is the shepherd and the, and uh, who uses the gate. And as the man was reading the scripture, he realized he'd been trying to sneak into church. That he was like the thief. And so he stopped reading for a moment, looked over at the rector and said, Do you believe all this stuff about Jesus is really true? And the rector said, Yes, son, I do believe that. And he said, Well, I'd like to know more about it. And they agreed to meet after the service. And they talked with him. He eventually made a commitment to Christ and then became a disciple and a leader in that community. Wright's comment on the whole affair was, that young man who tried to sneak into church to get a view of the young woman got a lot more than he bargained for that day. And the same could be said of the lame man in Acts 3. Every day they bring him toward the gate that is called Beautiful uh, to wait as people come to the temple to, to get a little bit of money. So he can make it through that day and on to the next day where they'll bring him to the temple again. He was expecting just enough money to make it through. He got more than he expected or bargained for. His entire life was changed. When Peter and John looked at him and uh, got his attention and then told him that they didn't have money but what they had. Silver and gold, I have none, they said, but what I do have. In the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, walk. And the man's whole life changed. 
He was hoping for a few dollars to get through another day, and his whole life was reoriented. He got so much more than he bargained for. Well, I look at the miraculous story like that, and I want to ask, well, how did this happen? How do things like, how do lives change in such dramatic fashion like that? And part of the answer, which is very clear in the Bible, is it happens because of Jesus Christ, because of his presence, because of his power. And we don't want to miss that, that what happens to this man is not because of the church, and it is because of Jesus. But it's interesting to note that some centuries later, the story is told that the Pope of that time and uh, its leading theologian, Thomas Aquinas, several centuries later, are walking out of a cathedral one day. And they walk past the offering box, and it's filled with all sorts of precious valuables. And the Pope says to Thomas Aquinas, he said, well... We can't say anymore, silver and gold, we have none. And according to legend, Aquinas' response to the Pope was, yeah, and neither can we say, get up and walk. And the point, I think, from Aquinas was, when you start to trust your own human resources and forget that it is first and foremost about Jesus, his presence and his power, then the church gets in trouble. And they lack sufficient power of to uh, help and do the things that God has called them to do in the world. So the first thing I want to be real clear is this all happens because of Jesus, because his, his, his power and presence is invoked. Because Peter says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Now, I think that's worth looking at for a moment, because you and I probably know a lot of people, maybe even ourselves, who, who want to claim all sorts of things in the name of Jesus, and we use it as if it were a magical incantation or formula of some sort. You know, people in Jesus' name will, will lay hands on houses or automobiles or on the TV screen when their team is behind, and, and they'll claim all sorts of things. But we need to understand that's probably not what Jesus had in mind or what the ancients would have understood by doing something in someone's name. When you did something in someone's name, it meant that you were doing something in accordance with their purpose, their character, and their will. You were doing and asking for what they would want if they were there. That's why Jesus can say, ask for anything in my name. What he's saying is, ask according to my purposes to what I want done and it will happen now of course part of the the issue is we don't always know exactly what jesus would want in in a lot of situations Uh, some years ago i i I had a, a a friend and his business was struggling so i began to pray to god to bless his business and others of us did too and sure enough his his business started to double It was moving toward tripling. It got to where he was away from home five nights a week on the road. He was doing so well. And his family was falling apart. And we began to wonder, was this really what Jesus wanted for him? To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray as we what we think Jesus would want. And it's hard to know exactly. But Peter knows in this case. I was preparing for the sermon this week and just by chance opened up a periodical. It's called Christianity Today. And in the May issue, the cover story is about a woman who has an orphanage in Mozambique. Her name is Heidi Baker. She and her husband, Roland, run an orphanage. Interestingly about Heidi, not only does she help orphans in Mozambique, but there are credible reports that many children have have had their hearing and adults restored when she prayed for them. And even a couple people have been raised from the dead. 
So Indiana University sent out a team to study her. At another time, St. Louis University, a Catholic school, sent a couple priests out to visit with her. And uh, when they were studying her, they talked to one of her associates um, who works with her in the orphanage. And this is the way he described how uh, Heidi Baker works. He said, she goes out on a limb and waits for God to show up. Somebody has a need, you know, and she comes, she begins to pray and ask that God will meet that need. And so the researcher from St. Louis University says to her, well, isn't that like putting God to the test? Yeah, I mean, just daring God to jump in like that? Wouldn't that be like testing God? And the associate told the researcher, no, because she does it all for the poor. And the Bible is very clear about how much God and his son Jesus care about the poor. Now, whether you agree with all that, and some of it's verified, I would tell you that's what it is to pray in the name of Jesus. Heidi knows what Jesus wants. And she prays accordingly. And so amazing things uh, sometimes happen when she prays. Uh, To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray what he would pray. And his presence is also invoked. But that's not the whole story in this passage. That's an important part of the story. Maybe the most important part. But there's another part here. Theologian John Stott, uh, who unfortunately passed away recently, made this observation. He said, when you look at this story in Acts... It's a combination of Christ's power and Peter's hand. Because notice Peter reaches out to the man. There's something about what Peter does that in a sense sort of activates the power and presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So I thought I'd just spend a few moments and say, what what does it look like Peter did here? And I think he did a few really significant things. First thing that Peter does is he notices a man that thousands of people pass by every day. I mean, the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon or nine in the morning, can you imagine how many faithful Jews in Jerusalem go past this man into the temple courts? Thousands. But these two guys, they notice him and they stop. One of the things they say about Heidi Baker in Mozambique is that she is never on time for a meeting, never on time even for a worship service. Because her motto is this, love stops for the one. Love stops for the one. When she sees a child that seems to be without direction or anyone around, she will stop. When she sees a man or woman who seems to be grieving or struggling, she stops and spends time with that person. Love stops for the one. Jesus, we're told in the Gospel of Luke, is walking through Jericho one day and there's a wee little man up in a tree. Everyone else has gotten in his way. They don't want anything to do with him. They don't notice him. He's a tax collector. But Jesus notices and stops for the one and says, Come down. I'm going to your house. This morning I was talking with Pastor Michael about this passage. He's preaching in the gym right now. And he said one of the things he read uh, recently was that you can never separate the power of the gospel from the personal aspect of the gospel, that they're both there. Jesus has amazing power that changes, creates the universe and changes everything. But on the other hand, Jesus focuses it on individuals. And this is a personal gospel for a man who's in need. So the first thing I notice is that Peter at least bothers to stop, spend time. The second thing is Peter makes an offer of help. I don't have that, but here's what I do have, he says. 
in the name of Jesus, walk. You know, oftentimes I will pass by people in need. I mean, no doubt about it. I drive by them at the intersection often. Or walk past them on my way, this, that, and the other. But even when I stop, do I, like Peter, dare to invoke the power and the presence of Christ in any situation? Do I dare to go out on a limb and see if God will show up? I mean, simple words we could use like, may I pray for you? Is there something I could ask God about in your situation? Is there something I could do, my small group could do, our church could do that would help you? Just some sort of offer. Here's something interesting about Heidi in uh, Mozambique, I want to come back to her again, is she freely admits that a lot of people aren't healed. A lot of deaf do not receive their hearing. A lot of people with cancer that she prays for do, in fact, die. But she says this, it doesn't stop me from praying. We stop because the person's in need, not because we think we have an ironclad answer for them. It's not based on results. It's just based on us being with them and inviting God into that limb and see what happens. And Peter does that. The other thing Peter does that's real interesting to me is that this takes place outside the temple and outside the upper room, uh, outside the gate. It reminds me of what I've tried to tell you, um, and I, you're probably tired of me saying, which is wonderful things happen here in the church, but the main place God is showing up is outside this building where at work or uh, where we meet people and in our neighborhoods, so different places where we show up, where we walk, that's where God shows up, not necessarily restricted to in here. And then one of the things that I notice about Peter is he's just on his way to worship. Prayer is, as you probably know, synonym many ways for worship service. He's on his way to, to worship. It's just part of his daily life. He didn't go off in a closet and pray for six hours and say, okay, I'm charged up. Whoever I run into, I'm going to pray for their healing. He's just on his way to church, we might say. And there's somebody in need, and out of his daily life, in his walk with God, he offers the presence of Christ. We don't need a special training. We don't need a six-hour retreat. All we need is out of the ongoing relationship we have with Christ, to offer that relationship with another in need. Isn't that what Peter's done? He's just trying to share with this person what's happened to him in his own life. Out of the overflow of our life with God in Christ, we spill on to others, and their lives are changed. In the Christianity Today um, article, uh, before the article, there was an editorial. And in that, they talked about a, a man in Mozambique. His name is Felice uh, Tobio. And Felice was deathly ill and didn't have a whole long time to live. He wasn't a Christian. He called on the witch doctors to come to his town and help. Uh, and, and the witch doctors came and nothing got any better. So he heard about Heidi, Mama Heidi. So he called for her and she came. And she said, a couple things. The first thing she said is, we're going to get rid of all the stuff the witch doctor left. She said, because healing comes in Jesus' name or it doesn't come at all. Uh, and then the second thing she says, and whether or not this happens, you are going to get rid of that. And we are only going to Jesus. So sure enough, she prays for him. And, and eventually, I don't know if it's instantly or, or sometime later, Felice is healed. 
But what happens after that is what caught my attention in the editorial. Felice goes immediately after he's healed. He doesn't, you know, pass go, doesn't collect $200. He just, this is where he's going straight to where children who, ha- who are orphaned and have no home, no place, he knows gather are gathering. And he's able to make arrangements to bring two of them into his house. That's his first stop. So he starts with the two orphans that he's now going to raise with like no warning at all. And then he goes back to Heidi's church and says, what else can I do to help? He's been touched. He wants to touch others. That's how it worked in the book of Acts. My hunch is that's how it still works today.